0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have hit songwriter Heath Warren. You're going to hear Heath's story of growing up in New Mexico and what first got him into music. You'll also hear about his time in L.A., making the move to Nashville, signing with Warner Chapel Music, and the story behind the writing of the hit song Rockin' a Hard Place by Bailey Zimmerman. I had a great time talking to Heath. I hope you guys enjoy the episode, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep smiling. Your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter, you gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. Ooh. Today we have hit songwriter Heath Warren with us. How you doing today, Heath? I'm wonderful. I'm
1: still getting used to people calling me that. That's great.
0: <laughs> I think you should get used to it, man. It's, you definitely got more hits on the way. Uh, so getting right into your story, you grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. What was your childhood like?
1: Oh, man. Uh, I I think about this a lot. I talk about it a lot, uh, especially in the writing room. For me, I feel like I, I was super lucky. I had a great childhood. Um, Albuquerque was a great place to grow up, um, not necessarily a place that I feel like I want to raise my family, and, and I, I don't really have any ideas about uh, going back there. But um, yeah, I had a great childhood. My, when I was born, my dad was a head football coach at a, at a big high school there, and so I feel like I was born with a ball in my hand. And, uh, my mom, she was just always the most supportive and and is still today. Um, but yeah, for me, I grew up in a great neighborhood full of, full of a bunch of kids. And, uh, we were always running around. It was a cul-de-sac and, uh, we were always playing sports and played a lot of sports growing up and, and, uh, you know. My parents bought me a drum set when I was five because I asked for one, and most parents wouldn't do that for their kids. So right. uh, they were always supportive about me hanging out in the garage and banging on those things as loud as I wanted to. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of a lot of the things that that I had during my childhood all got me to to where I am right now. And right. my parents, my parents, and and having just a supportive and uh, free childhood, I think uh is is a lot of the reason for for what I'm up to now.
0: Now did you grow up in a musical family at all? Were your parents playing any instruments or anyone you were related to?
1: Not not necessarily. I think, you know, probably a few generations back, just talking to my grandma a few months back, she was telling me how musical everyone was um uh you know a few generations ago but uh my mom she isn't I wouldn't say she's a musician, but damn, she can sing. <laughs> she's a really good singer. And she has, she has just a, a good musical, um, uh, mind, I would say. Um, and she was, she was probably one of the driving forces for me to, uh, feel, just feel music and, and enjoy music. And, um, Yeah, I think I would say my mom's probably the most musical person in the family.
0: Now, what kind of music was getting played around the house that you kind of feel like kind of introduced you to music, kind of made you feel your first connection to it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. We listen to a lot of stuff, man. Um, A lot of country. Uh, My whole family's from West Texas, small town West Texas. So we had a lot of George Strait playing uh, in the background. I remember driving to elementary school uh my mom was always listening to shania twain or uh reva mcintyre um we had some garth playing there a lot of alan jackson um but outside of the country world um i, th- I feel like we just listened to a lot of oldies yeah um which i really love too so yeah uh we we were always bumping some
0: them. <laughs> now, what kind of do you think drew you to the drums uh, kind of as your first instrument to pick up?
1: You know, I don't know. I think as far as like the natural music tendency goes, I, I think there are two types of music musicians in the world. I think there are uh, technical musicians, so um, you know, people that just have a genuine interest to learn. How to play music and then the other musician is the person that i think was born to play music
0: mm-hmm.
1: and in in the most humble way of, of saying this i don't know why i had an interest in the drums but i know i was always tapping on things i was always whatever was on the radio i was already like playing to the beat and uh i just had good rhythm i guess and it was just I back in the back in the 90s uh, I would, before school, I would always watch like the top 20 countdown. Yeah. And it's just like music video. It's just all morning before I was going to school. And I just always see, you know, the bands playing in the music video. And I would just, I'd look at the drummer and just like, damn, that's so cool. I want to do that. So um, for me, it was a pretty natural progression, I guess. Like just, uh, I think my mom probably saw me having some rhythm and then, uh, you know, me thinking that it looks cool so something that i wanted to do
0: heck yeah now in high school uh were you kind of starting to play out with any friends or anything were you kind of starting to maybe dabble in writing what was those years like for you um no uh well yeah
1: i i guess there's a youth uh a youth like a christian youth group thing called young life Mm -hmm. that uh i was involved in with a you know most of my high school friends on monday nights and really the the reason why i was going was so i could play uh you know like the jimbe with uh my buddy kevin who led the the music portion of of the night for young life and my my next door neighbor my best friend nate boitano he would play lead guitar so it was just kind of kevin Nate and me on the gym Bay, and we were leading worship for uh, for Young Life on Monday nights, and we started doing that freshman year of high school, and that kind of got all of us into like jamming. And Kevin was always writing songs, and I wasn't I wasn't writing songs back then, but again, just just wanted to be surrounded by music. So, um, I would say sports were you know goal number one all through high school but my hobby was was doing that with those guys
0: that's awesome now take me to senior year what are you thinking about is the next step were you considering college were you maybe even trying to get a scholarship for a sport or were you want to do music already
1: uh it was definitely scholarship for a sport mode around the house um 24 7 like we were either in the car or we were on a plane going to visit schools and go to camps and trying, trying to be seen by a bunch of these coaches. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to play football or if I wanted to play baseball. And, um, you know, going into my senior year, I had made the decision that I was going to focus on trying to play college baseball, but I was still going to participate in high school football and, um uh so yeah, my senior year I was I was really focused on a baseball scholarship and all the way up to two months before college started, I was about to pack my bags and go play baseball at uh Phoenix Community College uh in uh in Arizona. And uh the coach there was um uh Coach Rooney. And he ended up moving on to be the head coach at ASU two years later. But uh uh he's a great dude. But last second, I just I decided to pull the plug and I, I ended up staying in my hometown in Albuquerque and just going to school at University of New Mexico. Um tried playing baseball there. They had just had a new coach come in or like 40 six guys on the roster, I think, and I got cut pretty quickly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I still played some summer baseball, and uh, I, I probably considered after my freshman year of college going to a smaller school to, to continue playing. Um, but I think at that point I was just immersed in the college experience and having fun with my friends, and uh, pretty shortly after I I really seriously decided to hang up the baseball thing. Um, me and those two guys that I was jamming with in high school, uh, we started a band together and uh, that band was called Asper Court. And we, uh, we hit the ground running. I, I, you know, it starts small. We, we were playing like graduation parties and uh, uh, like restaurants and on Saturdays and just weird, weird gigs.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but you know, getting our education in that. And then, uh, you know, probably a year into that, we, we started getting some pretty big uh, gigs opening up for some pretty big artists. And then shortly after that we started touring and that's really where I, I I think I fell in love with the process of being a part of uh, the music business and chasing, chasing the dream of like, you know, trying to connect with people with songs.
0: For sure. Now, I see that you spent some time uh, in L.A. Did you move out there with the, those band guys? Uh, how did that come about?
1: Yeah, it's a great, great question. Uh, we had actually been on tour with a band from Massachusetts called The Gallery. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're just a really cool kind of Tom Petty style rock band. And um, they, uh, they were moving across the country when they did a few dates with us. And uh, I was in my last semester of college and we were going to Lubbock, Texas to play a show and our lead singer in the back of the band was like, hey, I, I, you know, this isn't fulfilling for me. I don't think I really care about touring. That's not what I want to do in music. So we played this gig at the Blue Light Lounge in Lubbock, Texas that night. And uh, after the show, I was hanging out with the gallery band and I told them, I don't think our band is going to be touring much longer. Kevin uh, doesn't really want to do this like this any longer, but I do. And they opened up their, their door to me and they're like, dude, as soon as you finish school, you have a you have a place to stay in LA if you want to. So as soon as school was over with, about a month into that summer, I just packed my stuff up, called the gallery guys. was like, hey, if you guys meant what you said uh, back in April, I'd love to take you up on it. And they're like, yeah, come on. So two days later, I was, I was in LA unpacking my truck and, uh, and I was shown the living room couch that that was going to be my bedroom. (laughs) So (laughs) now what did those first
0: kind of couple months look like in LA for you? Were you kind of able to get in some sessions right away from being living with those guys? Or did you kind of go out on your own trying to open some doors?
1: Uh, definitely a little bit of both. Those guys were introducing me to so many people that they already knew in LA, which was awesome. Uh, I couldn't have done that without them. Um, and outside of that, I was, you know, making my own connections. I was, um, figuring out where and when the drum auditions were for big touring gigs. Um, so I was auditioning on drums quite a bit. Um, trying to spend as much time in the studio with the gallery while they while they were recording their record with Warren Hewitt and just trying to absorb everything Warren Hewitt was doing during that process too. Yeah. Um, cause I really looked up to Warren and the records that he had worked on and he was a huge reason. Um, he's a huge reason why I was interested in moving out to, to LA and just kind of shadowing what the gallery boys were up to. So, uh, yeah, those first few months—that's we we really hit the ground running on on music stuff. But I got a phone call. I think I'd been in L.A. for two months, and I got a phone call from uh, a gentleman named Brian O'Neill, mm-hmm. and he worked for the uh, New Mexico Tourism Department uh, at the time, which was you know my my home state, and they were looking for my college band to uh, write a custom song for this tourism campaign they were about to launch internationally oh dang and i told him i'm like well the band broke up but i would you know i'd love to take a stab at writing the song for you and uh it just so happened that nate boytano who was in my college band was visiting me in la that day so i take this call get off the phone i go to nate i'm like dude i just got a call they were looking for us Told them the band broke up, but they need us to write this song. Do you want to go and write the song? And we ran back to the apartment, wrote the song that day. I recorded it on my MacBook on GarageBand with this like blue snowball microphone (laughs) and uh, built the track out, sent it the very next day, the next morning. They got back to me. They're like, wow, we really love this. We'd love to license this for our campaign. Do you mind changing a couple lyrics here and there? And then they sent us a check for more money than I had ever seen at, at that point in my life. And I was like, damn, writing music is easy. Why am I not? Why am I not doing that uh, <laughs> for <Right>. a living? <laughs> and then uh, I made $0 writing songs for the next five years. But um, that was, I would say that's what really opened up my mind to uh, the songwriting world for, for, you know, career. started researching it and trying to understand how the, how that side of the industry worked. So um, while I was chasing these touring drum gigs, I started chasing, um, you know, this songwriting idea for, for pitch. And uh, luckily my roommate, the lead singer and main writer for the gallery uh, who ended up becoming and still is one of my best friends. We, uh, we both just kind of, started writing as much as we could uh, with with other people in mind and he and I definitely cut our teeth together writing songs his first few first first few years in LA and then he ended up moving across the country with me to uh, to Nashville and he's he's a hell of a songwriter in Nashville too and we've got some cuts together our first major label radio cut was together so uh, it's been cool growing up with him uh, in the songwriting. Uh, business and uh, he's definitely taught me a lot I think we both both learned a lot from each other so
0: that's awesome now what was the decision like to leave LA and come to Nashville then it was an easy
1: one uh you know obviously tough to pack yourself up after feeling like you've probably made a little bit of headway in, in the music community in LA which which isn't easy to do in LA because so much stuff going on there and it's super spread out. And, um, uh, you know, most people are trying to be an actor and, uh, finding songwriters that, that want to write the same type of stuff that you do and have the same goal, uh, oriented mindset and the same type of schedule. It's So hard to find the music community there. Um, but we went out to Nashville for a week long trip and, I feel like the second we got off the plane on that visit, you just, you're, you're thrown into this music community and feeling like this massive neighborhood of music row and and midtown just feels like home. Like it feels like, wow, I am surrounded by a hundred people that are exactly like me and they're all wanting to do the same thing that I'm wanting to do. And then, uh, you Know pretty quickly after that trip, I'm like, it's a no brainer. I'm packing all my stuff, even if it means I have to start over again. I'm, I'm moving, you know.
0: Yeah, so so this is probably fast forwarding uh, a couple of years here, but uh, in early 2023, you signed your uh, publishing deal with Warner Chapel Music. What's that process like, and uh, what did it mean to you to kind of sign that deal? Um, it's a really big deal to me. I, I
1: you know, I've seen uh, the, the, the publishing world in Nashville in my seven years of living there. I've seen a lot of people sign publishing deals um, their first five minutes into town.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've seen a lot of artists that aren't necessarily writers sign publishing deals their first five minutes into town. And, you know, you have that mental battle where you're like, damn how the hell do I get that opportunity? I'm doing everything I can. I'm just scraping by. I'm working all these side jobs just so I can pay the bills. And I really think these songs that I'm writing, uh, you know, have a chance and um, you know, I'm writing with all these up and coming artists. They're putting these songs out independently. I feel like I'm doing everything right and I'm not getting any attention. And having that mentality can be super dangerous. And I think, if you're chasing it and it's the only thing that you, you you think you need, then it's not the right, it's not the right approach. And the second you let go of that and you don't worry about what is happening for everyone else. And you just kind of keep your, keep your head down, do the grind, do the work and, uh, let, let your, let your, you know, your catalog, your portfolio of songs speak for itself. Um, you know, your time is going to come. Everyone's time is different. Some some bands sign record deals right away and uh, the rest just doesn't fall into place. Yeah. Other guys have all the right stuff and can't get a record deal, can't get a record deal. They just keep grinding and then their time comes. They sign a record deal and then their, their career blows up. So I think everyone's different. And for me, signing a deal... Um, You know it felt like i i achieved a massive goal of mine obviously but um you know in hindsight because i was independent for so long i got to come in with a bunch of songs in my schedule a and one of them being uh, a hit song uh rocking a hard place and it, it had already been doing its thing so that's what landed me the deal
0: yeah
1: and um I'm forever grateful for, for Ryan Beisel and Ben Vaughn for giving me the opportunity at at Warner. Um, it's been an amazing home so far. And, and, uh, I really, I love, love, love showing up to work every single day. Um, I feel inspired and, uh, I feel welcomed by them and, and the staff there. And, uh, it's been to answer your question. It's been life changing. Uh, but I feel like I earned it. I earned my seat at the table. I bided my time and um, you know, I, it, it, it was the hardest path to get there. But now um, you know, I just, I feel at home in in a publishing house instead of, you know, I could have could have signed a publishing deal a few years ago that, that wouldn't have felt like this one, you know, it could have been the wrong deal at the wrong place at the wrong time. So I am grateful for, for how everything's worked out.
0: Now you mentioned seven years leading up to that deal. What's, what's, uh, what kept you going during that seven years? Was it just your love for music and this being the only thing you want to do kind of, what was that driving force to keep going?
1: I think it's that man. I think it's a lot of the people I've been surrounded with because, um, You know, I have had just a few like little successes and some songs that do really well on the independent side when I didn't have a publishing deal. And I mentioned that that major label radio cut. Um, Brandon and I both were independent songwriters when we got our first radio single, but the timing sucked Uh, that that song came out in April of 2020 like right when we were in the middle of uh, not even in the middle, we we're in the, the beginning of what the pandemic ended up being. Right. right. And uh, it was just a really confusing time for everyone, but especially the, 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 the country music community, because people are canceling tours, their years are just, are, are changing drastically. And now all of a sudden everyone's launching music um just trying to get music out since they're not not going to be on the road so country radio just became um busy and this song was called something you ain't ever had got cut by a duo called waterloo revival yep they were signed to show dog records at universal under toby keith and they were going to be on tour with toby all year that year and so when this cut happened things were looking up i'd been meeting with every publisher in town and i thought i was about to sign sign a publishing deal i thought this song was going to do really well at radio It had all of the all of the things that you're supposed to have for this song to go and i thought it was going to change my career and then you know pandemic so um in a weird way i think i think the pandemic tested everyone and in, and in, in, you know, in more ways than one. But for me on the songwriting side, it really made me get back to writing songs by myself uh, and sharpen that tool. And then also diving into the into the whole Zoom concept of writing and just accepting it and uh, you know, trying to fill my calendar with as many people that were willing to hop on Zoom um, as I could. And I think 2020, I mean, I wrote a ton of songs in 2019, but 2020 and 2021, that was when I really felt like I was falling into uh, what I knew how to do best, like what my role was supposed to be in the room and carrying it confidently. So, yeah.
0: Now, you're currently coming off a six-week number one with Rockin' a Hard Place that you talked about. It's hard enough to get a one-week number one, and this was number one for six weeks. Take me back to the day you, you wrote it. Who came in with the title? What was the process like of writing it?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I tell a lot of people, when you are chasing the the hit song, job right when you're you are you show up every day to write a song you're like we gotta write a hit we gotta write a hit you get lost in that and you you start paying attention to what everyone else sounds like and uh, on that day we wrote this song on uh, June 2nd 2021 in my 500 square foot studio apartment in Germantown and uh, I had met Jet Harvey, one of the co-writers, at a uh, music event, and um, you know we had we had set up a date, and he was interested in getting into the co-writing community. He hadn't really done that yet, um, so I had Jet Harvey on on my calendar that day, and uh, at at that moment in time, I I, I was going through a, a, a really really tough breakup. And the night before I had gone out drinking with with my my best buddy, Jacob Hackworth, and he was just kind of Jacob assumed the the best friend role of of just trying to help me get through this breakup. And so he ended up sleeping on my couch in my apartment and we wake up in the morning and he he's like, oh, man, I'll get out of here. I know you have a right. And I'm like, no, dude, I don't even really know this guy, Jet, but he's going to be here in a few minutes. I just think you should stick around. Do you have anything going on today? He's like, no, I don't have anything going on. And Jacob's a hell of a songwriter and just a hell of a talent. I already knew that. Uh, so I invited him to stay. He ends up staying. And, uh, you know, three hours later, we have Rock in a Hard Place. Um, but that process, we... Uh, <laughs> a little different than normal days because jacob and i were we pretty hung over we go and meet jet outside and jet's got his guitar he's ready to go to work and uh i'm like nah dude put your guitar back in your truck we're gonna walk down the street and grab a coffee and a burrito and i didn't know this at the time but now i now i do jet owned a uh an insurance company so he was taking the day off from work that day to do this and he's like what do you mean we're going to get burritos I came here to work like I need to get back to my job and <clears throat> luckily he rolled with us we all got to know each other a little bit at uh, at breakfast and then we get back to my apartment and uh, Jet had just shared with us a personal story about a trip he just took to Boston with his girlfriend his now wife and um, they'd kind of gotten into an argument at a dinner in in boston and i started spilling my guts on my breakup and jet started spilling his on this this argument that he had just gotten in and we just started piecing all all of these things together and i had this title in my phone uh between a rock and a hard drink and then right under it right under it i had rock and a hard place and i I always I didn't know how to write the between a rock and a hard drink song. I, You know, it was a little bit heady, um, but my thought for rock and a hard place was always like in the vein of Hardy, like like a rock. Yeah, because um, I love that song. Obviously, I'm a fan of Hardy and, and his work and how uh, smart his writing is. So I really wanted to chase this title where you're talking about a diamond ring. And the concept of, you know, we're either going to break up or I'm going to ask this girl to marry me. And that's where I'm at right now. And I really don't know which direction I'm going to go. Yeah. And it really felt in line with where Jet was, uh, you know, in his relationship. And it was definitely where I was in, in my breakup, where I was like, damn, do I fight for this girl? Try and get her back make some changes that that are necessary in my life to to try and do that? Or do I just carry on and just take take one on the chin? You know, so uh, I would just say in that right, uh, I think one of the reasons why this song has done so well and, is, and has connected with so many people is because we sat there and we, we told the truth. And um, in that process of like chasing hit songs every day, like that day we weren't even thinking about that. I think we were actually being vulnerable and real, and we were trying to capture what that feeling and what that emotion actually meant. And, um, you know, uh, everything lined up correctly for us that day, uh, and, in, in a lot of weird ways. And that just goes back to what you were asking about, like the publishing grind, like trying to go and get a pub deal, uh, my timing was like my time started on that day i think yeah, you know because yeah. pretty shortly after uh my life started changing just because of that song so now i show up every day and i don't give a shit about trying to write a hit song as much as i care about right writing the truth and trying to pull the truth out of my co-writers or the artist in the room or whatever the purpose of the of the ride is that day i'm really just trying to find a way to do that so we can not only like put out quality country music, but, uh, you know, like really make it mean something. So, uh, I think I learned a lot through, through writing that song.
0: No doubt. Now I like to close my interviews by asking what's a piece of advice you've learned along your journey that you'd give to the younger uh, aspiring musicians out there.
1: Oh man. I don't know if I'm qualified, but, (laughs) uh, You know, if you're listening to this interview, I feel like you can get the gist of what my, what my journey has been. And I think it's been far from easy. Um, I don't think any reward in life comes without sacrifice and, um, and, and having like a, a really, really large support system around you. And, um, for me, if you are chasing this, um, I would find a group of people that you believe in and stick with them. And things are going to get hard. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to learn a lot about other people. Um, You're going to figure out just how selfish the world can be. Um, But uh, keep going and keep chasing it. You have to love writing songs more than you like breathing oxygen. (laughs) <laughs> uh you have to be obsessed with it and um that doesn't mean that it can't be fun uh but i think you have to take it seriously and um the nashville music community has been an incredible place for me to do that and it's it's been easy for me to connect and surround myself with like-minded dream chasers but also people that are just more talented than I am and better at writing or better at singing or better at playing guitar or melody or whatever it is and I don't think it's about letting those things discourage you I think it's about absorbing them and learning and learning and learning and then figuring out what you do best and bringing that to the room every day so any aspiring songwriters uh, buckle up it ain't easy but Chase this damn thing because I think it's worth it. It's been uh, it's been incredible for me, and I wouldn't change anything.
0: Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Heath Warren. Heath, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone, go follow him on Instagram at heathwarren2 and check out one of his latest releases, Happy to Be Here by Skis. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Dylan Williams, guitarist for Jordan Davis. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also follow Starting Small Music on Instagram at Starting Small Music and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next.